You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. For the next month, we're going to be taking a snapshot look at uh, Jesus' unfiltered words. Uh, He was the perfect storyteller. He gave us the most famous stories in history. Whether you're a Christian or not, you probably have heard uh, of some of them, maybe of the Good Samaritan or, or the... The Prodigal Son, 2,016-year-old stories that still live on today. He was the master of telling stories. Now, he's the master, but he was a master storyteller as well. Uh, It was the number one way that Jesus taught. They're known as parables. Now, a third of all of Jesus' teachings were a parable. They're basically short stories that tell a bigger story. And they often were about heaven or hell. Uh, They were often about uh, the kingdom of heaven. All of them were pretty much about the kingdom of heaven, but they told us about God's view of life and the afterlife. And if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, all you have to do is ask Jesus and he'll give it to you unfiltered in a parable. Now, one of Jesus' most often stated phrases when he usually talks about these parables is this phrase right here, Matthew eleven fifteen, where he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that means that you're not just listening, but you're hearing. Uh, that's the difference between, uh, you know, hearing the words that are coming out of somebody's, you know, mouth, and then and then you actually understanding and seeking to understand what they're saying. It's like it's like when you're arguing with somebody and you're just waiting for them to breathe to anticipate what you're going to say. You're listening. This happens. I mean, we talk to other couples, and this happens to us as well, where uh, my wife might be talking and then I'm maybe zoning out someplace. I'm listening because she says, "What did I just say?" Right? It's a quiz. It's a pop quiz. <laughs> it's a trap. Right? You ever, you ever get those uh, guys when somebody's talking to you, what did I just say? Repeat. It's like, and then you're like scrambling, what did she say? And what you say is pretty close. And it's pretty close. You're like, whoo, you know, crisis averted. Uh, but really, what you're doing is you're just gathering what you you know, what you were, was out there and piecing it together. Uh, you're not hearing, you're listening, but you're not hearing. And so Jesus says, get your ears on, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So these parables uh, take a little bit more insight. Basically, he's saying, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Uh, when he asks that do you hear me? Um, what we find is that they don't always make sense, the parables, and we find God's kingdom is often different than ours. It's, it's an upside-down kingdom. So through the parables, Jesus, this strange king, talks about an even stranger kingdom through strange stories, and he's talking about some things that we never expected, some things that are hard to understand, things that are hard to accept. Parables illustrate big truths about the kingdom of God. Now, I just want to say a couple of things real quick about what the kingdom of God is, because all these parables pretty much deal with the kingdom of God. In fact, he often says the kingdom of God is like there was a man who, there was a story who, there was a father who, there was a master who. The kingdom of heaven is such as this, a man found this. And so a lot of his stories, in fact, the Bible says he traveled his whole ministry preaching the kingdom of 
of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, here's a couple of things. They expected the kingdom of God to be an earthly kingdom. Jesus lived in a time where they all expected a a person to come in on a white horse and overthrow the government forces of Rome and to establish an independent nation of Israel again. They expected a revolutionary to overthrow the oppressive government. Just 150 years before Jesus, there was a guy whose name was Judas Maccabee. In fact, he led a multi Thousands and thousands of people revolt. The Jewish people overthrew the Roman government. It only lasted a few years. It was a seven-year war on the Roman culture, and he was somewhat successful. Eventually, they were overthrown again by Rome. He was put to death. They celebrate that revolution in a holiday known as Hanukkah. That is what Hanukkah is. It is a celebration of the liberation of Rome by the Maccabees. Now, they expected an earthly kingdom, but what they got was a spiritual kingdom. Jesus came in and he's like, my kingdom is not of this earth. It is not a kingdom that you expect to see. Uh, It's a different, the earthly kingdom acquires force to maintain it. It is acquired and maintained by force. That's how uh, it's been done ever since the beginning of civilization. Uh, You move in, you conquer, you establish a a military presence. It's by force. It's about control. However, that kind of kingdom must be maintained through fear. And they have a constant resistance with that authority because it's usually oppressive. But the Kingdom of God is a different kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom, and it's not acquired and maintained by force, but it is acquired and held together by service and by love. It's about serving others before yourself, loving those who hate you, and being kind and generous and gracious to those that attack you. People follow that kind of authority. They don't force, they're not forced to Uh, or controlled by that kind of authority, we tend to lean on the power of politics to bring or extend the kingdom of God. And that's kind of been, I think, the biggest fault of the church since about 450 AD, when the church became a government institution in Rome. And ever since then, the church as a whole, in its many flavors and denominations, has struggled to have an earthly presence of the spiritual kingdom because we are relying upon our government to expand the kingdom. It is not our government's role to expand and to extend and to hold strong the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's nice when you have a government that cooperates with your freedom. But honestly, the church flourishes best under persecution because those are the opposers begin to fall off the sides and the true kingdom rises victorious as those who love and serve in the face of persecution. You see it around the world in some of the most persecuted countries where they don't have the freedom. The church is thriving and surviving and multiplying. Here in America, we are relying upon our politicians to bring us the kingdom. And as a result, the church in America is dead and dying. And each year, the number of those that are going is diminishing and the fire and the vibrance of those that are going is dying. Guys, stop relying upon the others of the system of this world, of the earthly kingdoms, to extend the kingdom. You are the kingdom in the flesh. 
A spiritual kingdom is acquired and held by service and love. So what's the deal with the kingdom? Is it a now? Is it a future? What is it? Well, the kingdom is a right now and a not yet kingdom. It is a right now and a not kingdom. When Jesus showed up, he said, hey, the kingdom has arrived and it's me. And then he empowered his people and said, the kingdom is now in you. And then he said that there will come a day when he will bring the kingdom in its full authority to us. So it is a now and a not yet. That means if you are a child of the king, you are the kingdom ambassador and everywhere you step is kingdom ground. You know, like if you were to go to the embassy in one of the major uh, government cities around the world, when you step onto that embassy, you're actually stepping onto what is considered the property or the land of that nation, even though it's in a, like if you go to Washington, D.C., there's all these embassies. If you were to step onto the German embassy, you're literally bound by law in Germany, and you are not bound by, uh, you know, U.S. custom laws, or you, you, are, you are on German land, because as an embassy or an ambassadors, you not just represent, but as the embassies on earth, you are taking the kingdom of God everywhere you go. It worked. The kingdom of God is there. That's why Jesus said we had to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are the kingdom, but one day the kingdom will be established in full through the authority of Jesus. So it is a now and a not yet. So Jesus explained these in his many parables. It's a mystery. The kingdom is in us and still to come. The parables are Jesus' way of explaining it, unfiltered, but they often confuse. It's no wonder. This is why. Mark 4.10 says, when he was alone, when Jesus was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about these parables. Like, man, Jesus, you are totally throwing us for a loop whenever you break into these parable stories. And they said, uh, he told them this. He says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you in parables. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, but hearing, uh, but ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, you might read that and go, what? What is the point of parables if the point of parables is to keep people from knowing the kingdom? Because we often think parables are just Jesus' teaching illustrations. They're not. They're more than that. We know that he wants everyone to turn from their own selfish life and turn to the freedom of Jesus Christ, those who don't know him, to know him. And our sins, they condemn us, and he loves us, and he came and paid for our sins, and he wants us to turn from ourselves to him. So why does it seem that the parables are there to confuse and to divide? That's, I, thought, I thought Jesus was just being an illustrative good speaker. No, there's more to that. I want you to write this down. Parables were given both to conceal the truth and to reveal the truth. You see, those who are called to know the gospel and really want to know the truth, they will find understanding in me, Jesus says. But to those who want stuff, the parables will just confuse. We are prone to seek God for the good stuff and ignore the tough stuff. You see, the parables are God's way or Jesus' way of often uh, thinning the herd because he spoke unfiltered truth 
in ways that was often hard to accept. Every time he shared a parable, there were people walking away. It separated those who wanted a slice of God and those who were truly hungry for God. See, some people, they come to church and they just, they just want their church fix. They want maybe a little, a little dessert to top them off on their you know, decent week or good week, or maybe they're struggling and they need a little, little pep talk. So they, they come to church for their little slice of heaven. The parables were meant to, to weed out you and to give those of you that are hungry an opportunity to, to dig into the search and to find the meaning of God's kingdom. Seeking after his kingdom, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. You see, the parables divided those that were truly seeking and hungry from those that were just wanting a slice and, a, and an appetizer. Two responses to the parables um, are this. That's a great story. And then you put your own meaning together. Or there's the, I kind of like it. I kind of get it. Tell me more. Jesus, help me out here. That's the one that we want. We want the, I kind of get it. There's got to be more to it. Tell me more. As opposed to, that was a pretty good story. How can I apply that this week? That's the surface. And some people walked away without any life change when they heard a parable. I hope that's not you today. Today we're going to look at a, an often a parable that's not shared too often. It's not a very popular parable. Uh, it is a strange one, and it's often offensive. And you'll find out why. Mark 33, uh, 4, uh, 33 says, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. See, preachers are often told to preach like Jesus, to use stories, but actually he used stories so that he could confuse some people and so that few could understand. I'm not going to do that to you today, but Jesus might be doing that to us today. So be clear. There are two things to understand about parables before we jump into this series. And the first thing is this, is that they're often mistreated and they're misapplied. Um, that means we need to read them as, as just a big story. Uh, we need to read them the way that they would have heard them. From their view, we're not, we, we don't need to pour meaning into them. We need to let God's meaning flow out of them, all right? So don't misapply, don't misread, don't read into. Here's another problem that people do is they, they tend, to, uh, they tend to, to, like, put too much into it, and they define doctrine out of them. Parables were not intended to give us doctrine, Okay, It's important. They're not allegories where every detail means something. They're a big picture of the kingdom. That's why you can actually use, you can read the parables, and it seems like the characters in the parables, sometimes the master represents Jesus. Sometimes the master represents Satan. Sometimes the, the, the workers represent us. Sometimes the workers re represent spirits. You know, so it's important that we don't say every master in the story is Jesus. It's not. Read the whole story. It represents a bigger picture. All right, so don't bleed doctrine out of them. Some tend to dissect them, and they, they, they create some strange beliefs from them. Uh, parables are snapshots of God's perspective, unfiltered. They're meant to capture our attention, connect us, and transform our thinking. They reveal truth again to those who are hungry, and they hide it from those who are not. So we're going to jump in today with a parable about Graceland. Take a look at this. Anybody ever been to Graceland? One more. Here we go. Anybody ever been to Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee? Who lives there? 
the king, the king of rock and roll, that is Elvis Presley. Uh, we're going to talk about Graceland today, and I'm not talking about the Memphis, Tennessee, Elvis, the King's Graceland. I'm talking about the King's Graceland. There's a parable that we're going to take a look at today that deals with moving in to Graceland. There is a real Graceland, and there is a real king of Graceland, and it's not in Memphis, Tennessee. The story is in Matthew 19. Uh, in Well, it's actually Matthew 20, but preceding that parable, here's some of the events that happened. Maybe you've heard of the story of a rich young man who came to Jesus saying, how, how can I join your gang? How can I be a disciple? How can I join him? And Jesus says, hey, if you want to join my disciples, knowing that this guy had such an attachment to money, he said, I want you to sell everything you have, give it all away, and give it away to the poor, and then come be a part of my group. Uh, and then this man walked away sad because he was, he was married to that money. He was so connected. He was white-knuckling his possessions and his material things. Fortunately, uh, Jesus told him something he doesn't tell us. He said, if you want to go, if you want to be perfect, sell everything, give it to the poor, you will have a treasure in heaven, then follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now you can imagine what the disciples might have been saying, Jesus, what? We're about to move. We need the finances. We don't have to raise as much money if this guy comes on board. I'm sure you're thinking here, this guy comes walking and they all know him. He's a very prominent figure. He was a young man, so uh, he somehow acquired his wealth through uh, either uh, some unique business opportunity. Usually there's not a great inheritance involved in, in Roman culture. But he was a wealthy man, and uh, they started to panic. I, I would imagine, uh, what, what about us? I mean, they're thinking, Jesus, we, we could have used that, and then... They, they got to think, wait a minute, if that guy can't enter the kingdom of heaven, how can we enter the kingdom of heaven? So they began to worry, and they began to say, Jesus, who can be saved? If, if he can't be saved, then, then nobody can be saved. And they, they started to worry, and the Jesus says, don't worry. Guys, listen, let me tell you something. Jesus said, anyone or everyone who gives up anything for my sake will receive a hundred times more in this life or the next. So... I would imagine they started getting their calculators out going, let's see, I left my boat, I left my house, I left my possessions, my big screen TV, you know, and they're like, all right, times 100. And they're like, yeah, man, this Jesus thing's really going to pay off. So they're, they're maybe getting excited about it, uh, but then Jesus says, let me finish, but many who are first will be last, and many who will last will be first. So they began to get confused. We're like, wait a minute, you're saying that we're going to be rewarded, and then you're going to say that we should be last, but then how can we be rewarded if we're last? And then Jesus said, let me explain the kingdom to you in this parable. Okay, so this is where it begins. That's the backstory of the parable. Matthew 20, verse 1. He says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. That's about 6 a.m. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, that's a full day's wage. It's a, it's a coin, all right? Uh, I've got a coin. It's a quarter. It's not a denarius. It's not a full day's wage. Thank the Lord for that, right? But a coin, a full day's wage, all right? I will give you a denarius for a full day's wage, a good money, good job. Come to work with me. I'll pick you up. They're at the gas station, you know, in South Garland. Just pick them up. We'll hire them for the day, right? Here goes verse 3. About 9 in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also 
Go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. I'll take care of you. No set price was given. Any work is better than no work. So they go, right? He only promised the first guy a denarii. So they went. He went out again about noon and at 3 in the afternoon and did the same thing both those times. And at about 5 in the afternoon, 11 hours later, only one hour left to work, about 5, he went out and still found others standing around. And he asked him, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said, well, you also Go and work in my vineyard. Come on. So when evening came, 6 p.m., he lined them all up, quitting time. And he says, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last one and going to the first. Let me get my denarii out. To the first. He says, line them up. And he says, all right, five people. You came in at 6 o'clock. I told you I'd give you a denarii. Here you go. One denarii. Hey, you who came in at 6, here you go, one denarii. Hey, you that came in at 12, here we go, one denarii. That's yours. Hey, and you that I picked up at 3 o'clock, here, here's one denarii. And you, the 5 o'clock, the guy who worked one hour, here you go, one denarii. They all got paid. Now, what would you expect to receive if that was you? How would you respond if that was you? If the first one and the last one there all got the same thing. Now, the workers who were hired, verse 9, were about 5 in the afternoon, came and each received a denarii. Woohoo! for one hour. Yeah! So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. So they're thinking, all right, the last guy came in, one hour. Man, if he got one denarii and I've been here, for 11 hours, imagine how much I'm going to make, he, they thought to themselves. But each of them also received a denarii. That's verse 10. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only for one hour, they said, and you gave them equal to us who've been born the burden of work and the heat of the day. Man, we have sweat all day. Man, man, I've been cutting my fingers. Man, I went out, went without lunch, and man, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. You know, come on. He says, man, we deserve more. Man, I've been, we've been serving you faithful since 6 a.m. But he answered to one of them, or he answered one of them, and he says, am I being unfair to you, you uh, friend? Didn't you agree to work? For a denarii, take your pay and go home. I will give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? This is the key to the parable. So the last will be first, he says, and the first will be last. And I'm sure the disciples were going... That doesn't explain anything. <laughs> They're still probably struggling as to what this is about. Jesus was giving his disciple a beautiful picture of Graceland, of God's goodness and his grace. This is not about last-minute conversions. A lot of people think that this means like if you serve Jesus your whole life and if you give your life to Jesus right when you're dying on a hospital bed, that you'll get the same eternity. That's not what this is about. This is about there's a bigger picture here. You know, we get bummed out. We might think, well, that's not fair. I served, you know, so think about it. Some of you guys have been serving Jesus. You know, I asked you when you were, became a Christian, you go, I was born a Christian, which, by the way, you weren't. 
Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is a moment of decision where you realize your need for him, that you are lost and that you are dead in sin without him. So if you don't have that moment of, of recognition of who you are, where you become a where you're a dead person who becomes alive again and a new birth happens, you're not a Christian. But maybe it happened when you were a kid, right? And you're like, man, I've been serving Jesus since I was a kid. And then some of you, you know, you, you, you've heard of people who are just, man, living like hell. And they're, they're going crazy, man, living life, doing everything they want to do, being able to experience everything they want to experience. And you're denying yourself of all those pleasures, you think. And then they... Right at the last moment before they die, they give their life to Jesus. And for some of you, that makes you mad. You love it if it's your son. You love it if it's your daughter, your mother, or father. But if it was, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, you know, or some, you know, Marilyn Manson, I'm dating myself here with the, with the, with the weird dudes. Uh, you know, if it's somebody that you despise and you think, man, that's not fair. Funny how this reveals our sinful nature. If I get or someone I love gets a great deal, God is good, awesome. But them, them, man, that's uncool, God. Notice they accepted the offer as soon as they heard it, though that was later in the day. So this is not about last-minute conversion, someone who kept putting it off, didn't want to come to work, or didn't respond to the kingdom. It's, it's wherever they were at in their life. They responded as soon as they heard. So this parable is actually about Graceland. I'm not talking about the one in Memphis, but the kingdom of God. Jesus' unfiltered view of grace. Let me explain this. First of all, some of you guys know this, but I want to establish this. Grace is God's unmerited favor. I'm going to ask you, you're going to hear that often and often and often. I mean, it's a big Christian word, grace, and you need to know what it means. It means unmerited, undeserved favor. That means you didn't do anything to get his favor. You know what favor is? That means someone likes you and did something great for you, right? So fair, uh, favor is that you get something unmerited. You get something, you didn't deserve it, all right? So grace is getting something you don't deserve, all right? Unmerited, and you didn't do anything, and you cannot get it on your own. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it, nor can you do anything at all in your entire life to acquire the merit for it. All right, so Ephesians 2.8 says it this way, for it is by grace, unmerited favor, that you have been saved through faith, and this, not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Now, some feel that this gift of God means I believe and I'm in. It's a nod to heaven, and the big guy gives you the ticket. We often think that it's a nod to God, and then we live like hell, because we think that somehow grace because it's a gift and it's unmerited that, that there's nothing on our part to respond with, thinking that it's by grace, therefore there's nothing we can do about it. That is what's known as antinomianism. That word means no law. Basically, that's the belief that you can live any way you want and still be a Christian because you believe. That is not the doctrines of the Bible. In fact, the Bible tells us, it says, it tells us that verse 2 8, it says, it means that grace, this gift, is something we can't take credit for. It's an invitation that we did not earn. Grace, this gift, is an invitation. It wasn't cheap grace. It cost his life. And guess what? It costs you too. Because Jesus said, whoever desires to be my disciple must die to himself, pick up his cross, 
and follow me. You know what it costs you? Everything. The invitation of the Holy Spirit is that free gift that we receive, but it costs us our life. Grace is getting something far beyond value worth, far beyond what we deserve. Jesus says, I'll forgive you. I'll adopt you, transform you. You can spend eternity with me. Jesus asks for something. You. He says, surrender your life and you will have life. This is a gift extended to you, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but you must respond to it with your life. This is a misnomer oftentimes. Imagine you're on death row, you deserve it, and someone says, I'll get you out of prison, give you health and wealth, and and you will live forever. All you have to do is trust and follow me and live in my house and follow my rules for the rest of your life. Would you do it? You know, if, if you were just wanting to get out of jail, maybe, but then you'd find out that maybe living by his life and his standards and his home and his way of doing things is not something that you're willing to do. So you leave the protection and family of that life and you find yourself back in prison. We see that in the church all the time as people think that Jesus is some get out of hell card and they say yes to the kingdom and they, they man, but all of a sudden they don't like that. Give me your life part. And so they hold on to their life and they go through this cycle of, of failure and, and sin and addiction and trouble. See, this is unmerited favor. That is what grace is. Jesus often asked, do you want life? you want the kingdom? Die to yourself. Follow me. Get rid of everything that you hold on to and pursue me. That's why this story coming out of that, that rich young ruler who walked away sad was so important to this story. That's why he says, if you give up everything you have for me, if you give me your life, you will get more in return than you ever imagined. It's not about a calculator, how much did I give, times 100. It's about more than you can imagine. When you give up your life, for my sake, Jesus says, you will get something you never imagined. And then the disciples were thinking money and possessions. He says, let me tell you a story. It's not about that. It's about this parable about understanding grace and about understanding what it means to receive grace. So here's the parable, getting God's unmerited favor to invite, to receive. It's far beyond our value and what we deserve. This is the parable of grace. Write this down. Three things I want you to know about this parable, and we're going to be done. The first thing is this. Those who respond to God's grace are in the kingdom of God. Number one, in Graceland, everyone gets more than they deserve. Everyone gets more than they deserve. Remember, that's what grace is, getting what you do not deserve. Is God fair? No, God is not fair because he gives away discriminately. That means he decides, not you. It's not God's going, here's grace, take it, take it, take it. Here's candy. It's like when you go to an event and they're just throwing candy out. God's not up there just throwing candy out. No, he's walking through the crowd going, you get one, you get one, I'm not giving one to you. You get one, you get one, I'm going to, here, give one to that guy. No, no I, you won't want, no, I'm going to give it to this guy. It's discriminate grace. It's unmerited favor. He's picking, but when you get it, I tell you, you get more than you deserve. You get more than you deserve. A worker who started at 6 a.m. is still getting more than if he had no work at all. To get work was the grace of God. It was the grace of the master. To be invited to work, that was grace. 
See, we're in Texas. Imagine God's kingdom was Hawaii, all right? I'm not saying I love Hawaii, but just for the sake of this illustration. Imagine God's kingdom is in Hawaii. And basically, Jesus said, if you want the kingdom of heaven, all you have to do is walk there. All you have to do is get there. So we all say, I want the kingdom of heaven. So we begin to make our journey to Hawaii. Man, we're walking across Texas. We're doing great. New Mexico gets really hard. Man, we get to the Rockies and we start dropping like flies, right? And all of a sudden, man, the mountain men and the mountain women, they make it over the Rockies and they're living it up in the California beaches. And then they look at the ocean and the guys, man, they're walking into the ocean. Here we go, Hawaii. Here we go. And it doesn't matter how good you are or how far you can get yourself, everybody's drowning in the ocean at some point. There's not a single thing we can do to get ourselves to the kingdom of heaven. We're all drowning in a sea of sin. Some of us have a better job at getting there. Some of us have less struggle along the way, but we're all drowning in a sea of sin and we'll need help if we're ever going to get to the kingdom of heaven. Maybe a couple miles out of sea, no matter how great the athlete, we all fail. We all fail. Some will get farther than others, but no one can do it without the grace of God. Some will get more help than others, but we all need life-saving help at some point. Every one of us has failed and fallen short of God's standard for what he asks for. Some more than others. Some of you know this great price of forgiveness more than others. But we all have failed miserably. And all will perish in the sea of sin without the grace of God. Ephesians 4, 7 says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That means as God determines. He hands it out. See, the Bible is very clear, not everyone will be born again. The Bible is very, and this is some of the struggles of the kingdom parables. A lot of these parables, not the one today, but many of these parables say that there are people on the right who make it to the kingdom and those on the left who make it into eternal destruction. The kingdoms, the unfiltered Jesus is that not everybody goes to heaven. You need to realize that not everybody is going to heaven. And that's why people drop like flies after these parables. Because there is a right and there is a left in the kingdom of God. And so when we, when we get to this parable of grace, it makes it that much more interesting because that means if you are born again, there's somebody who's not. And there's some people who will never be born again. And there are some people who will never know the saving life of Jesus Christ and pass from death to life. And they will be separated from God for eternity. That's the parables. That's a hard one to understand, to believe. That's one that's hard to accept. But the reality is if you are born again, you've been given favor. God has, indis has discriminately proportioned to you as he determined grace. So if you're sitting here and you know that you are right with God and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are favored. He picked you. It wasn't random. It was an intentional 
pick. And you didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to merit it. You can't, you weren't a good person enough to be able to uh, uh, be a, a candidate for it. It was completely as he determined. And I don't know why he picked me. I don't know why today people are dying and going to hell. And why today, if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I don't know why. There's other parables that are going to talk about this. It gets very hard. That's why it's unfiltered. It's Jesus. It's not the, we all just need to get along, Jesus. It's the, there's a right and a left, and some will be left behind in the kingdom of, of darkness and is separated from the kingdom of life. And, and these are the unfiltered words of Jesus that, that are hard to accept. The parables are not just good, happy illustrations. They're, they're the, the stories that separate the crowd. And so this, this parable, he's telling his disciples, he says, guys, listen, you're going to be happy with what you get because everybody who gets grace, I picked and they get more than they deserve. Don't know about you, but I've never been drunk. I've never been high. I've never robbed a store. I've never beat my wife. I've never abused my kids. I never took a life. Maybe you have, but I'm still a wretched man. I'm still deeply in need of grace. And I'm still sinking in a sea of sin without Jesus Christ. Thank God for his grace. And that's that understanding that the grace of God is with his favor. Luther once said, there but the grace of God go I. I mean, I don't know why, but the grace of God has preserved me and saved me and rescued me. And, and if you're part of that family where grace has been extended to you and you've received it, your story is different than mine, but we're all sinking in a sea of depravity. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The unfiltered truth, some get more grace, but we all get an amazing amount of grace. This is number two about this, about this parable. Is in a Graceland, some get an even better deal. Some get an even better deal. This is where it gets hard because remember this parable is about envy. And some people in Graceland get more than others. Remember it's Graceland, not Meritland. In Meritland, you get what you earn. In Graceland, we all get what we don't deserve and some get more. In John 21, Peter after the resurrection of Jesus, he had denied Jesus three times. At Jesus' most great moment of need while he was being tortured and persecuted, after Jesus died and rose again from the dead, he got together with his disciples and he took John off to the side and he said, John, do you love me? He asked him three times. And each time the answer that John gave, I'm sorry, that Peter gave, uh, each time, it's in the Gospel of John, each time he asked Peter, do you love me, with a, a word called agape, which is unmerited, unconditional love, Peter responded, yes, I love you with a phileo love, which is a, a friendship, I like you a lot kind of love. It wasn't the love that Jesus was asking for. But something interesting happened at the end of those three questions. Peter never said, yes, God, I love you unconditionally. But then Jesus told Peter, he said, but Peter, you will one day because you're going to die for me. And he says, Peter, right now you just like me a whole lot. 
But if you keep walking with me and pursuing me, that like is going to turn into an intense love, and you will give your life for me one day. I promise you. Now, if you're Peter and you're still trying to figure out how deep you want to go down this Jesus rabbit hole, and Jesus says you're going to die for me one day, Peter immediately said, uh, are you sure about that? Because he says this. He says, verse 21, when Peter, and all of a sudden here comes John walking up and Jesus said, Peter, you don't love me enough to die for me yet, but you will one day. You're going to be put to death. Somebody's going to torture you and kill you. Here comes John. Peter says, uh, when Peter saw John, he asked him, Lord, what about him? <laughs> what about him? I love that. Jesus answered, if, you want, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And this is really the heart of this parable. We often do the same. We get a sense of what God wants from us, and we think, okay, God, what about him? What about her? How come their life is better than mine? How come they get more than me? How come their marriage is happier than mine? How come they have kids and I don't? How come they have a boy and I have a girl? How come they have two and I can only have one? How come their kids are behaving and mine are not? How come I'm single and they're married? God, how come I don't even have a boyfriend and this person doesn't know how to treat all their boyfriends? God, how come I'm always having to put money into my car? And how come that person, their car is a nice car? How come their job is better than my job? I work harder. I've worked longer. I've been serving you, Jesus, since I was a little kid. And I'm still getting one denarii? John definitely got a better deal than Peter. He's the only disciple that lived to see old age. All of the others were put to death. But in heaven, Peter realized they both got a great deal more than they deserve. Here's the third thing I want you to understand is in Graceland, no one gets shortchanged. You're not going to get ripped off by Jesus, okay? He gave exactly what he said he would give to the first guy. He did not, he did not lie to him. And he did not cheat him, and he did not shortchange him. He gave him a full day's wage. Yes, some got better, but he's not going to shortchange you. You're not going to be disappointed unless you have a heart of envy. And that's really the heart of that verse. No one will ever be able to say, God, you ripped me off. God always does what he says. He keeps his word. I need... Um, uh, I need some people. Who likes Coke? Who likes Coca-Cola? I need five people down here real quick who like Coca-Cola. And, and I'm talking like Coca-Cola. Like you like Coke. Because I got a gift for you. Uh, make that four people. So if there's five of you, somebody go home. All right. <laughs> All right. Coke, Coke fans only. Coke. It's got to be Coca-Cola, not you know, the narcotic. All right. Four people, you like Coke. We need one more. Oh, come on, Elijah. All right. Here, come on. Come right over here. All right. You guys, I have a gift for you. All right. I put a lot of thought in these. I'm going to give you each, each a gift, okay? So I'm going to give uh, to you. I'm going to give you that one. Okay. And, and uh, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give you that one. If you could hold them up after I give them to you, just kind of hold them up. And then I'm going to give to you this, all right? 
And I'm going to give to you this uh, Big K Cola. All right. <laughs> All right. Now, I don't know if you heard him say when he got it, that's messed up. Now, all right, now you can open it if you want, but I suggest that you, you know, I, no. Yeah, don't shake it. Just behave yourself. I guess you'll open it later. <laughs> Envy. That's what that was. See, now I want you to imagine for just all of you love Coke. I gave you a gift, Sean. Yeah, but it's not Coke. It's exactly, it's not Coke. Now, he doesn't want Coke. He likes soda, but I gave him a big old two liter of Coke. Now, and you might think, oh, that's kind of cute, but he got a liter. He got a 20 ounce. How come, you know, this, this is, <laughs> you're like, this is, you know, God gives you this. You're like, oh, this is, this is cute, God. <laughs> this is cute, but I, I like that one. You know, and you're like this, and you might think, man, this is great, man. I got a bigger one, and then all of a sudden, I pull out the two liter, and you're like, wah, wah, you know, and then you're like, and then God lies to you, and then God gives you a big K cola here. No, God didn't lie to you. I didn't say I was going to give you a Coke. I just said, I, think I just said, no, I said I'm going to give you something. I didn't. I said if you like Coke, come on down. Oh, that's, yeah, true. If you like Coke, come on down. So. You got something you didn't deserve, and it was a gift given to you. Now, if we were to put this in the context of a car, you know, if or a house, or a marriage, or a family, and, you know, God gives. Now, I intentionally gave you that. I knew as soon as Sean volunteered, I was not going to give him the two liter. Now, and as soon as Elijah came back and he said he didn't like Coke, I purposely gave him the two liter. All right, now you're probably going to still drink that, right? No, you cannot switch. I gave that to you. I gave that to you. Now what you do afterwards is your business. <laughs> but here's the point. We do this in our life every day. And this is the point of the parable. The point of the parable is God gives, he gives discriminately gifts of grace some get more than others, but will never shortchange. You're not walking away empty-handed. You're walking away with, you'll probably still, I mean, big, I, youth has Big K Cola. I've had Big K, Dr. K. This isn't just Big K. This is Dr. K. Wah, wah, wah. I, it's cold and crisp and refreshing. Yes, it is. That's what they say. You guys can go ahead and take your gifts and, and, and take your, make your way back to your seat. Here's the fourth, here's the, see, yeah, I know he's joking, but he's not at the same time. That is, maybe we don't act it out, but that's our heart a lot of times. That's our heart. Here's the last thing I want you to know, and we're going to wrap this up, is this. You'll never discover Graceland infected with envy. I might need one of you guys to go um, check out, make sure, you know, we don't, have some weird commercial come on here in a minute. We won't have to worry this, worry about this in a couple months. Um, I want to challenge you guys as we leave. Jesus is saying, beware of the cancer of envy. Understand this. All envy is caused by comparison, comparing our blessings to someone else. The difference between covetous and envy is this. Coveting what somebody has is you want what they have, but you can still like them. Envy is where you want what they have, and you despise them for it. Both of them are sinful actions. Envy learns 
turns into ugly behavior, uh, just like what we saw Sean do. Um, envy is caused by comparison. If, if, if there was no comparison and I gave him a soda, he'd probably, oh, thanks, it's not my favorite, but thank you, right? It's not because we got a bad deal, but because they got a better deal. Well, God, what about that? I want that too. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That means make sure that no one misses this, that unmerited favor is handed out by God, that no root of bitterness springs up as a result of this and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You see, a lot of you, you've been given this amazing gift of grace, and all you can think about is how horrible your life is how bad your car is or your house or your shoes or your family. And you think, God, I gave you my life and now I get all I got was your grace. Doesn't that sound, just when you say it like that, pretty ugly? You're not getting shortchanged, man. You were given, man, the greatest thing you could ever imagine. Grace, the grace of God, a new life. Facebook envy, man, we we. we promote ourselves on Facebook like we're just so everything's perfect and people who spend more time on Facebook or Twitter, uh, people who spend a lot of time doing Snapchat, they tend to be more depressed because they're constantly comparing themselves and stalking people and digging through other people's photos and timelines, always thinking they're having more fun or a better life or a happier life than mine. When you've been blessed with a great family, you've been blessed with great friends, you've been blessed with a great church, There are times when we won't understand what's going on in life. That's not envy, that's frustration. But when we can't see past the Coke, then that's all we'll ever see. We won't see the blessing that it is and what we've been given. Envy eats away at gratitude. Proverbs 13.30 says that envy rots the bones. We will never be free, never understand grace without Gratitude. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Some of you are battling envy right now. Families torn apart over inheritance, a lack of fairness at work, siblings at home that are constantly arguing over who's the favorite one or your lot in life, comparing your life, your marriage, your family to another. This parable is not about the other guy. This parable is about you. Jesus says salvation and the kingdom is about grace land, not merit land. Grace is found, the kingdom is found, true life is found when we surrender this life. And he might give us a denarii, but it's more than you deserve. So as we close, I want to challenge you to surrender your life. And this is what I want you to surrender. What are you holding on to? My stuff, my status, my sin, and myself. These are the things that Jesus asks you to give up for his name's sake. Your things, the people in your life, those positions, those habits, those temptations, and your future. Jesus unfiltered, Luke 9, 23, and we'll pray. It says this, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but Whoever loses their life, for me, will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? 
So my prayer for you today is come, work the vineyard of the master. He's a good master. And don't be so envious about the people around you. Build those relationships. And at the end of the day, when you get paid, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And we can all rejoice together because we're family. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for the grace of God that is still, 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 still amazing. I want you to think for just a moment what God has saved you from. That grace, your actions, your self-destructive behavior, your depression, your anger, your rage, your loneliness. What has God rescued you from? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for hope. God, thank you. Now, if you're here this morning and you hear this message, this challenge from Jesus to surrender, he's inviting you to come to work. He's inviting you to come join his his family to leave everything behind. Will you just take a moment and talk to Jesus? The invitation is here today. And what he asks of you is everything. It's a free invitation, a free gift extended to those who will leave everything to embrace it. Will you talk to Jesus? Maybe you need to Tell him, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, here's my life. I'm leaving my old life to walk into a life I don't even know what to expect about. But I'm, I'm walking into your life, and I'm ready, Jesus, to leave my stuff, my things, myself. Just go ahead and say, Jesus, here's my life. Here's my family. Here's my job. Here's my career. God, here's my dreams. God, I give you everything. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.